Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. So if that doesn't take you out, um, I'm not sure there is anything that will. Uh, <laughs> hey, y'all, my name is Baranda Fermin. Um, oh, my gosh, I had no idea it would look like this. Um, when, um, our Advent team, uh, went along with this harebrained scheme of mine, <laughs> um, yeah, oh my gosh. Um, and then uh, coupled with that video, um, oh, so I encountered that video, um, last Advent and last Advent, um, I was also, am I really going to cry right now? Um, last Advent, I was also, um, I had a five-year-old that was reading. He refused to read today, um, or play with fire, despite the fact that he was super excited about that this morning. Um, and I was counting down the days that I wouldn't be able to pick him up. If y'all have seen my now six-year-old, um, he's up to here on me. He's going to be taller than me soon. Um, and I had said all year, this may be the last time mommy picks you up when he wanted up. And then I encountered this video and I was like, it will not be the last time I pick him up. (laughs) So as you can imagine, I bawled. Thank you, Chris. I bawled the first time I saw that commercial. Um, And this idea of there are people scoffing. His children are concerned about him. He flickers in and out of his confidence of whether or not he can, what initially appears to be an ego push towards his latter, his earlier days, his former days um, of a, being a swim star. I don't know if you, if you caught that. It was like very quick at the beginning, this photo of him like in his glory days as a swimmer. Um, and then you kind of think that's the picture that he puts up when he's like ready to give up. And then you catch a glimpse of it on the other side. And it wasn't him looking at himself in his glory days. It was him hoping that picking up this heavy kettlebell and being scoffed at, having his daughters called on him to to have him reconsider his decisions for what he was doing. Those were all a part of his hope that he would be able to be a part of what I presume is his granddaughter. It could be his great niece or something that he would be a part of the stories of Christmas that the next generation would tell. That somehow his days of being a part of the story might change, but that they would continue. He had that hope, even when it seemed the darkest. And in all actuality, he struggled. He felt most comfortable struggling with that kettlebell in the darkness of that little shed. You notice it wasn't until he got strong enough to really lift a couple of times that he moved from out of the shed onto in the middle of the cold, which was also weird, right? So despite the fact that it was cold and snowy, he was like, I feel better about this now. I'm going out there. And so as we head into the darkness toward Advent, as we think about the stories of this place past that we have been telling and holding, 
And we're trying to figure out, as we walked into the darkness toward Advent, what would we be walking towards? What would we be doing together? And so for Advent, we are examining the nativity story, the emergence of the Messiah and salvation into the earth, as usual, but with a character study on Joseph. How many, did I give that away? I was so excited. I was trying to hold it for like the past month and I have been, cause it's just like, y'all, I don't have very many creative ideas that like make people laugh when I think they're going to laugh and like land when I think they're going to laugh, like land. Usually it's the team of folks around me, but I had this idea and they were like, we like it. <laughs> so I've been so excited. And so this Advent, our series is entitled, What Would Joseph Do? Many of us are probably familiar from 90s and early 2000s youth of WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? But it's Advent, Jesus ain't here yet. Sorry, just, I mean, he's in our hearts because we have, you know, confessed that we love Jesus and all that kind of stuff. But in Advent, like liturgically, Jesus is not here. Um, But Joseph is. (laughs) And so the intention of this series is to focus on our identity in relationship to God and then eventually Christ, but in context. To explore questions regarding the Trinity and darkness in the world and situate ourselves firmly within the history portion of our transformation journey. To prepare us to explore and connect with our context honestly. Where are we? And what does where we are demand of us? So here's the thing. Joseph is only mentioned a handful of times in the canonical gospels. Technically, we don't know very much about Joseph. The ancestors of Joseph are listed in uh, Matthew 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and also in Luke, chapter 3, verses 23 through 37. Um, We also hear mention of Joseph a few times in the book of John, in John 1, and in John 6. But within our Christian sacred text, there are some other texts, the Apocrypha, and a number of other documents um, within um, the Episcopal Church and the Catholic Church, but within our Christian Protestant tradition, we don't know very much. If St. Luke sees the birth of Jesus through the eyes of Mary, so the book of Luke, so if you remember the Gospels retell almost the exact same stories, but through various people's eyes. So Luke sees the birth of Jesus through the eyes of Mary. It's actually Matthew's gospel that highlights the perspective of Joseph. Joseph is the man of dreams, much like the Hebrew patriarchs, right? So if we go back and connecting it to history, who takes Mary into his home, protects her and the child on the flight to Egypt, then brings them home to Nazareth as her husband and the child's father. Of course, Matthew's gospel depicts Jesus as a new Moses. And so therefore, within that frame of storytelling, Joseph becomes like, becomes linked to the whole story of Israel. It's not accidental that Matthew's account of Joseph's genealogy begins with the patriarch Abraham. It is intentional. So after the return to Nazareth, Joseph, however 
disappears from the story of Jesus. And is heard of only as a family identifier. So in John 1 and 45, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then again in John 6, the quintessential story of teenage angst. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Beyond that, the canonical gospels tell us nothing, it seems. Yet in order to understand both the collective and unique calls on our lives, I believe that we need to understand Joseph. For a number of specific historical and contextual reasons as Christians, particularly as a part of a number of any diverse array of Protestant strains of Christianity, it's intentional that we don't know much about Joseph. As we've talked about, and we talked about last week and a couple of weeks before, it was dangerous to be a Christian in these times, politically dangerous. The reason why um, John Mark couldn't send letters, the reason why Paul was always (laughs) in jail, the reason why um, Lydia was weaving in and out of the marketplace and down by the river to help the movement was because it was a dangerous thing. This was also true as we enter the Advent season. Herod had figured out that there was the possibility that this Messiah, this usurper that could overthrow the empire, was born or was about to be born. And so there was a hit out on babies. We want to kill all the children under, all the male children under two. And so when we think about how we had to characterize Joseph or what we could know of Joseph, how Joseph had to behave, there's actually some controversy. And so it didn't make it into the gospel canon. The idea that the Christ was born of a virgin then meant that there were ideas of chasteness and propriety that had to be upheld. You can't place a young man within the birthing space of a virgin. It was already controversial for a man to be in the birthing space, period. This was a time of midwives and doulas. We have reemerged into that space, but that was not a space for men. That was a space of women. And so how do you uphold a story of a Messiah that comes through a virgin birth while also upholding the cultural standards of that time? Joseph could not be in an intimate setting with Mary and the story still hold. Mary could also not have had additional children and the story of a virgin birth still not get holes poked in it. So the fact that Joseph might have had other children had to also be wiped away in some way. And so how many of you have ever seen a nativity scene with a young Joseph? So a Joseph with no beard or with a brown colored beard 
How many of you have seen nativity scenes or imagery with a bearded, gray-haired Joseph? There was division about how do we tell the story of Christ with Joseph in it? Because if he's married and he's older, if he had been married and he's older and he's a widower who's marrying this virgin to give her a home, right? Then he has to be older and this explains these other children that might have existed. But in order for him to have moved in the way that he moved, an 80-year-old was not necessarily going to make the trip walking while a virgin was on the donkey back to Bethlehem for the census. So how do we tell that story? Since that wasn't the main story, because we were sort of here for Jesus, the gospel canons don't say much. But I think Joseph is important. I think Joseph is important because what we do know of Joseph is what Joseph did for work. We know Joseph's lineage. And we know that his service to God, even in those years where we don't hear much of his story, was as protector and provider for Mary and Christ. So though we only know those three things about Joseph, I think in this Advent season, asking ourselves, what would Joseph do is important. The symbolism of Joseph as a carpenter or construction worker is interesting for me because what Joseph does by being husband to Mary and father to Jesus is to build social safety and cultural and political leverage. The character of Joseph, the story of the nativity as seen through the eyes of Joseph is the perspective that gives us hope. Hope that mercy and miracles, that the ministry of Christ through the fully human individuals in this earth is possible. Because if Jesus isn't here yet, how do we get to the miracle? Even those that come out of and benefit from a system that leaves no room for grace, from a system that would seek to destroy the opportunity for reconciliation through Christ. Joseph helps us understand what to do in those types of situations. Though Mary can invite us to feel worthy of miracles despite our identity or social role, and Jesus will give us the assurance of miracles present and possible in this earth, it is Joseph in this story that gives us the means by which miracles emerge. The means by which miracles emerge, and that is hope. Through grace and mercy, the perspective of Joseph's character is what hope is made of. A trust that something else can happen. A feeling of expectation, a desire for a certain thing to happen. What could Joseph hope for? Whether he was a widower or he himself was also a teenage boy waiting to be married for the first time. 
everything's now different. What could Joseph have hoped for? For Joseph and for Christians, for us, a belief that God's wish for us to live within a shared community of equals, to serve one another in the kingdom as coined by Sassi Diaz. Joseph's realization that he too was a part of the story. That he was a part of the invitation that God had a wish for him. To be a part of the story. Yet there's a question that emerges from situating Joseph so deeply within the nativity story. No matter how we shape the character of Joseph's presence begs the question, how does one whose very identity is iconic of all that is established and powerful? We know Joseph's lineage. It connects him directly through David to Abraham. When our very identity is iconic of what is established and powerful, the way we've always done things, how do we make way? How do we, when we are a part of the way it's always done, make way for the prophetic presence of a revolutionary transformation that's peaceful? Remember, in these times, we we knew fully well how to wage war. Much of the Old Testament, much of the thing that's coming to an end is Jewish communities and Roman communities and other communities at war. Joseph, as a Jewish man connected to the iconic history of the people, was well versed in how to just make it happen. However, how do I, how do we, who are shaped and formed and loved by all that has been, whether it lied or whether in the Old Testament, how do we make room for and engage in an intimate relationship with what God intends to bring forth? That's Joseph's predicament. What would Joseph do when he recognizes that God is trying to do something different and that he, a representative of all that was, can be a part of it. If Joseph had acted in haste, if he had acted upon what he knew, upon tradition, upon his first thought, rather than waiting, and then in waiting being gifted the guidance by an angel to move differently, if he had acted callously, or actually, let's, we don't even, it doesn't even have to be callously. If he had just merely acted normally <laughs> and didn't attempt to contemplate, let alone possibly wrestle, there isn't a lot of descriptive language when it talks about Joseph's dream. We don't know if it was a peaceful sleep and just boom, revelation. I know what to do. Or if he was tossing and turning and uncomfortable. Possibly cried out, God, I just want some sleep. And then here comes the angel. Don't worry, here's the answer. Go to sleep now. 
We have no idea. But if he hadn't considered attempting to find a gracious way out of his previous commitment to Mary. If he hadn't considered grace and mercy, not merely power and privilege. The salvation that we hold dear, the community that we consider precious here at Lied both at the global level, the church and the larger idea of the movement of Christian community and at the micro level lied in our faith community and the hope that that brings would not be possible. So what hope does that that possibility actually bring anyway? What hope could Joseph's mere presence in the story, bring. I mean, he's not the father. He wasn't there when Gabriel came and told Mary what was going to happen. As a matter of fact, the community of Judaism that Joseph comes out of was debating whether or not this kind of Messiah story was possible. So what kind of hope Does Joseph, the character of Joseph, the spirit of Joseph within communities actually bring? For Mary, it would seem that Joseph's presence brings the miracle of not being put away, not being cast aside, not being divorced. For the Christ child, it would seem a miracle not to be killed, though you are hunted by the most powerful of kings. However, Joseph's presence in this story highlights the fact that these are not actually miracles. These are acts of mercy. Those are the things within a different earthly context, with a different set of rules, the circumstances would be different. Those are earthly things. Those are not miracles. A miracle is a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws. We could explain marry and divorce away. If we changed the laws, if she were in a different Jewish community, if she wasn't in Jewish community, right? We could place her in a different context in this earth and her problem would go away. Same with Christ. Put him in a basket, send him up the river. We did it with Moses. Let's try it again. A miracle is considered a work of divine agency. The gift of Advent is the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus through a virgin, that's a miracle. The safe arrival of that gift is facilitated by the protection and the provision of Joseph. What Joseph brings to the story is to make it safe to be a part of God's story. The character of Joseph in our community invites us to consider how do we make it safe to be a part of God's story. Joseph recognizes that Christ is the miracle. He can be a part of the story of Christ in the earth, a part of God's ultimate plan. But he disappears from the story. 
What happens when you aren't positioned or called to be a martyr like Timothy? What happens when your position in society doesn't allow you to become invisible and you aren't easily dismissed and can't move quietly in and out of spaces like Lydia? What happens when you aren't invisible, yet you also aren't invincible? When you can't afford to go to jail like Paul and you can't blend in down the river like Lydia? What happens when there is no public forum for you to redeem the story like Boaz? What happens when there is no one who can quite understand your predicament? When you haven't been invited to be together like God did for Naomi and Ruth? What happens when there is yet to be a redeemer? What happens when you are the light inside of, not at the end of the tunnel? What happens when you have experienced and become accustomed to the privileges of the past and are now living within a prophetic moment? When it seems dark and yet something tells you that God is birthing what's next. What can you possibly hope for when God's vision for the future jeopardizes the only way of living or worshiping that you've held sacred? You hope. (laughs) You long for God to include you in the miracle of what's next. You recognize where you stand and the invitations that lay at your feet to lean into mercy, to lean into grace, to follow the oath of an angel into the darkness of transformation. You accept the invitation to be the flicker of light that others encounter within the tunnel on the path towards the real miracle, towards Jesus. So what hope do you have in this Advent season? What hope do you bring in this season of embracing the darkness and the shadows of believing in the power and presence of God even now? In the season of expectation, of hope, what do you long for? What longing does your presence, as you step more closely toward fulfilling your role in God's story, bring? If you were more like Joseph, What would you do? Argument that God exists. I mean, it's dark for Christ's sake. See what I did there? It's an immersion in song and story and celebration that God comes to us. Somehow, some way. If we wait, when we wait, even those times we don't realize we're waiting. God finds a way to come to us through darkness, in darkness, in chaos and desperation, in stillness and anticipation. As we navigate the shadows and the flickers of light and the heavy blanket of darkness, God is in there with us as a story, as an angel, eventually as a baby. 
So come, Lord. Show us how you are at work so that we might know you better. Enliven our spirits as we wait and take comfort in revealing ourselves to you in the darkness. Ready our spirits to receive you, Lord. God's going to find his way to us. God has found a way through us. Amen. I love y'all. Enjoy yourselves this week.